Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you something, people. Uh, put this on your calendar, because I went last night um, to the AMC 16 in Burbank, but this movie is playing, uh, one night was last night, and it's playing next Tuesday, and it's all across the country, and it's by, uh, go to fathomevents.com to check it out. It's a movie called Springsteen and I, and it's about Springsteen and his relationships with his fans. And it's just, it's a really, if you're a Springsteen fan, you gotta watch it, because it's a really great, great movie, and it's made very low budget, where they have people filling themselves, talking about what Springsteen means to them. And then they compass in the middle, they show uh, footage from Hyde Park when, um, when they shut down him and McCartney, which was just bullcrap, because it's like, I mean, here's the deal. You're gonna sit there and say that there's a there's a curfew. Well, you know what? When you live around a huge, huge, huge venue, you shouldn't be worrying about a curfew. That's like when me and my ex-wife lived in San Diego. People will go, oh, downtown's loud, you know, these sirens. Because you live downtown, okay? If you don't like it, go in the, con- the country and then listen to the crickets. That's all I'm saying. Right, Sheldon? That, yeah, the crickets. I mean, probably what the listeners are feeling is after that bit that you opened up with, it's just crickets. See, my guest is Sheldon Anderson, who I used to uh, host uh, Living in the Law. God, it was the worst. What did we do that whole time? I I, I don't know, but... uh, I mean, I just the guy downstairs was just like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're not doing the show anymore. And so, why not? I said, well, I... You know, we kind of sat down and we we're like, "What are we doing?" Yeah, and everything went different ways, and just we. It was a good premise, and then Sheldon's a conspiracy theorist, and uh, and John's a lawyer, and I'm just the host. I'm just the guy, the funny guy. You know, I'm like, I'm like, feed the monkey. You know, throw Steve peanuts. And I go, rrr, rrr, rrr. but it's all you're good. just everything. Well, now you were just back in North Dakota. Now you're you grew up in North Dakota. Yeah, now, I grew up in Minot, North Dakota. It's about you know. It's about 35,000 people or so, 30,000, but it's doubled in size in the last three years because they hit a, well, because they found 600 billion barrels of oil in the area. Okay. So all these oil workers and you can't, they can't find enough workers. So my cousin, Dominic, shout out to Dominic Larson. What's up, cousin? Um, you know, he's making over $100,000, you know, um, you know, hanging out on the oil fields because, um, Overtime and stuff like that. Well, they're just a, they're high paying jobs, and they're not enough people to fill them. Mm-hmm. And mostly, it's because there's no place to stay. You know, or at least recently there hadn't been any place to stay, but now they're kind of catching up and building and stuff. Because if you double the size of a town, it takes a little bit. Right now, what do people do in the oil field? What is like? What is his job? What do they do? Well, there's lots of different ways. Um, you know, I'm not too too familiar with the extraction process, but um, you know, there's a lot. There's the drilling part of it. There's the monitoring parts of it. There's the maintaining and maintenance kind of parts of it. There's the trucking parts of it. There's the welding parts of it. So, so it's a lot of just a lot of uh, hard labor, but it's just it's uh, very p- well paid because they needed to get done. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's no place to people to stay. So when you have a massive boom. And there's, you know, there's just not enough people to work. So you've got to pay people to work. And and if there's no place to stay, how do they, you know, put it this way, the um, Menards, which is like a wall, which is like a, you know, Menards is like a Home Depot kind of place, flies a plane in every week of 50 people from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Oh, really? To work and flies them back that's, every week. That's crazy. Yeah. So that was so weird that you could hear that on the mic. You know, you're. I know, they can't hear it. That's you can hear it because you have headphones on. People hearing can't hear it. Oh, oh, people hearing can't hear it. I put I put a. a, a Lozenger you did the one thing like during a the show. They're like, please unwrap any candies before the beginning of the show. And Cooper was like, 
Hey, you know what? Guess what? The show's called Cooper Talk. <laughs> yeah, and you're you my guest. It. You okay? Yeah, yeah. No, sorry, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, so, I have to so, respect your thoughts. Yeah. No, so I get okay. Now I've never, I've never asked you this, but um, you know, we've known each other for a long time. I know only like a few years, probably four, five years. No, well, we've met each other about seven years ago. I no, like. yeah, I wasn't doing comedy until three years ago. Dude. No way. Yeah, no way. Not three years. It was impossible. Four, four tops. I was hosting at Room Five, but it was four years ago tops. Okay, four. But ever, I've never asked you. When you were a kid, was was there was there entertainment around your house? I mean, what made you go down this road of being an entertainer? Because I know, I know you're a big hockey fan. And I know where you went after college. We'll talk about that. But when you were a kid, did you ever conceive have this notion that you would become a entertainer, or you just? I mean, did you have a lot of TV? Were you funny as a kid, or were you a bully, or what were you? Both. Because I see the picture of you when you're a kid on Facebook. You look like Damien. Like you look like a hell child. You look like problem child. Like the cute kid who would be like punch someone and wouldn't get blamed because he's cute you nailed it did i yeah okay. pretty much um well let's see when i was in second grade uh, my teacher wanted us to do this project where we were um you know selling things like potato chips and doing advertisements for it and whatever okay. so i wrote the advertisements and i sold the potato chips and for some reason she got approached by the local station and was asked if they knew any kids that could act or whatever and she recommended me so i ended up being in like insurance ads and bowling ads and potato chip ads and stuff. <coughs> Sorry, I got a cough. When I was a kid. And then I got, I was really into like the young ones and um, Saturday Night Live. So I used to do like, we'd go camping and I'd do Ed Grimley impressions. And, okay. But I never recognized that part of me. You know, then I was in, then I was in like student council things and valedictorian kind of things. And you were so, a valedictorian in your school. Yeah, I was a valedictorian in my high school and I was student council president. I think for five years or something like that. So I would go... And and I how was, are you student council president for high, five years when high school is four years? Well, because I did it in seventh and eighth. I did okay. it, started in eighth grade. Okay. So I did eighth, ninth, tenth. So, uh, and then I was on state student council. So I would go and give speeches and stuff. So I was always in front of large crowds and always giving speeches. Um, I would throw parties like... so. As the student council president, you would throw like homecoming parties. So then my homecoming party was like a huge bonfire with the open mic, and you know I would control that and host that and different things. And then, you know, what I would give speeches and do sketches in front of the student body. Um, uh, and then of course I did the valedictorian kind of thing and give speeches and do that. And then I went on to college. Now where'd you go to college? North Dakota, UND. You know, I I don't know if I regret having gone there. I really I don't regret it in hindsight, but I kind of regret not taking a look at larger colleges, the, the bigger picture. I had a really well, good. How big How big was your school? Well, we graduating class was five fifty. No college, I mean. I, I think probably eight thousand people. Because mine was mine was like fifty five hundred. I'm sort of glad I went to a small school. I'm well. I mean, listen. I, tr I traveled abroad, and I think I had opportunities that had I gone to a different school, and I don't know what it would have been. That's the thing. Even now, looking back, I, you know, would I have liked to have gone to a, maybe a, a Brown or a Harvard or something like that? I don't think so, because I think, you know, at the time I graduated, I was an insecure kid. And, you know, to make the leap from North Dakota to anywhere, you, it's hard to have perspective on life. Right. So I didn't know at the time that I had the opportunities that I probably had because, you know, I was a 4.0 valedictorian and I had like, you know, crazy SAT scores and I was student council president and I had, you know, kind what of... What were your SATs? Uh, well, I took the ACTs and they were 33 and 30 out of 36. So it was like the 94th percentile or something What like about that. the SAT? Didn't take them, but I said SAT to be why familiar you, with why didn't you take? You, you didn't take them. I don't know. You know, so that's the other thing. I got thing. a four. You got a four. <laughs> 
So, you know, I, I, you know, I think what happened was this. My, <clears throat> the people at school, the counselors and different things, saw me as very self-sufficient. My parents, you know, kind of left me alone because I wasn't getting into trouble. I was doing all right. So I was basically on my own um, to make decisions. And at the time, I just thought that was kind of the normal process. In, in, in hindsight, maybe I wish somebody would have said to me, hey, Sheldon, you know, I noticed you're, you know, you entertain a lot and you, you like public speaking. And have you thought about doing this? Because I had no freaking clue what I was doing. Right. So I went to college because I got a scholarship. I got a full ride there if I maintained at 3.63 or something like that. And then you said you went abroad. Well, I did. So I went to college, and I was there about, I don't know, a year and a half or so, and I was like, ugh. Boring. It's kind of boring. I mean... Did you live on campus? Yeah, I lived on campus, lived in a dorm the first year, and then I became a member of Sigma Nu, the fraternity there. Because that was like the social thing to do. Um, and then I, the, the, the Sigma Nu paid a scholarship for me to... Uh, so I basically had free ride at school. Um, so I could study whatever I want. I got into international politics and international business, basically, was my major. But then I realized, in at least in the North Dakota side of things, I was like, well, geez, if I work in international politics or something, if I really get out of North Dakota, I think my intention was get out of North Dakota. So without knowing it, I think I said, well, let me focus on something on an international level. Now, the perspective is, let me focus on that. But, you know, to make the leap from being in North Dakota to an international, let's say, UN kind of thing or an NGO or something like that, I never had the foresight to go. But I think that was my intention without knowing it. So it was like a subconscious intention to say, well, let me just kind of put myself out in this larger playing field, even though I'm kind of feel like I'm a little bit stuck here. So that included Spanish. And of course, you know, I'm fluent in Spanish, although I, I'm kind of losing it a little bit now because I haven't really spoken it since I was working in Mexico. But uh, I was in class one day and this girl had this amazing accent. I was like, oh, my God, it's incredible. I'm like, how is your Spanish so good? She said, well, I just got back from Costa Rica. You should go there. And I said, oh, well, how do you do that? She said, come down to the office. I'll, I'll just, just go. And I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah. Great. So I, I did. Awesome. I oh, awesome. it was phenomenal. Very I was there. Fish. I heard very good fish. Oh, God. It was so good. Oh, my God. So you went to school to study there. So I went to school there for uh, international relations in Spanish. And the Spanish was very difficult. I shouldn't have taken Spanish abroad. I, sh- I should have just taken normal classes. Uh, but I think it I wanted it to apply to my major a little bit in Spanish, so I did take Spanish. But it was too—it was like studying, you know, literature at high levels in college, but in another language. Right. So you get a little lost in there. You know, it was a good catalyst to, to make your Spanish correct and to, to improve upon it. But then you started studying, like, you know, Old English. Imagine going to study Old English if you're from Afghanistan or something. It's just like, come on, give me just practical shit. Uh, but the international studies was the first time that I really looked at what I had been taught over the previous 20 years as a 4.0 kind of student, you know, this great student who could, like, take every information and spit it back to you and never and always re- basically repeat it. Right. Because that's what the education system does to some extent, is it kind of doesn't turn us into free thinkers, per se. It kind of makes us, you know, clamp down in a certain areas and then repeat and respond to the same level that they did. And if you repeat and respond well, <coughs> excuse me, that means you're a good student. What it really means is you're a good employee. Because you'll basically listen to whatever the boss tells, and then you'll repeat and do that at a high level. That's what I think it does. Right. But what I started to find out when I studied abroad was that the stuff that they tell us that you get an A on if you repeat exactly like they told you in, in North America, in, in, in the United States, if you were to re- say that same thing in Central America, they'd give you an F. 
Okay. Because it wasn't true. Okay. Because it was a perspective issue, right? So when we say, well, we went in there to um, help with democracy, they say, no, you formed a banana republic. You paid this Noriega character to be able to work with him, and you built up the infrastructure, yes, but it was really just to extract our natural resources. And we're saying, well, we paid your infrastructure because, you know, that's how you get a better economy, and we gave you democracy because democracy works. And then they say, well, you gave us democracy, but you owned the guy, and then you controlled both sides of the paradigm, and then, you know, look at the Sandinistas, look at, you know, the uh, Panama Canal, look at, um, you know, uh, across the board. And that's just Central America. So when I'm studying abroad there, they're like, listen, American, you think you're smart. Let me teach you what, you know, what we think is smart. Okay. So then it was like, oh, wow. And then you start to question everything. That's when I really started to question everything. Uh, You know, I'm like, well, what, you know, what is truth? Uh, Is it (laughs) because truth, you know, I think to me, truth is, is universal. It's a singular standard. But then from perspectives, looking at that truth from a circular perspective or something like that. Each of us will have a different take on that, you know, depending on where your, what your position, your view position or your viewpoint is. So that was Costa Rica. Now on a social level, uh, you know, I was 19, I think, or 20, you know, I was growing my hair out. I had kind of bad teeth. I was like, I was kind of a dork. You know, I was a dork. Right. I always, and I still am a dork and I, and I like being a dork. Um, but, God, it was amazing. I mean, the food was amazing. Yeah. The travel is incredible. So you're there for how long? Six months only. And so, then, so then you come back to, to college. Yep. Now you have, you have a different, I'm sure you have a different perspective, a different skew. Different perspective. Decide I'm going to run for student body president at the university. Okay. And I loved it. I went around talking to groups, probably talked to 200 groups, ran with my friend Michelle Anderson. Um, she was just a really cool girl, really smart. I wasn't really, you know, a lot of things that have happened to me in life, have been very interesting. They've been not because I thought I should do it, but because another person had seen me and encouraged me to do so. Okay. Uh, you know, whether it be the commercials when I was a kid, student body president when I was in eighth grade, uh, student body president when I went to the university. These are all friends of mine that are saying, hey, you know what? You should really take a look at this. Um, Costa Rica was like that. Spain, I, I later on took on myself. But, um, uh, but so I ran for student body president and ended up losing. Um, but interestingly enough, that was another really cool perspective on things. Because what happened was we had a great campaign. We had people really loved us. We were really and and instead of what ha- what happened was the polling sites ended up being controlled by the other uh, group that we were running against. And so we ended up losing because they were kind of manipulating the vote. And it was pretty well known. In fact, letters had been written to the you know, but they don't care. Student body is right, total not, bullshit, yeah, anyways. But it was interesting for me to say, oh, God, that's politics. So no matter what your intention is in life, you got to get in the game first. You know, you could have. So however you get in the game, you know, maybe is fair because without being on the field, you can't you can't you can't play play and you can't affect anything. So you got to get there somewhere smarter than just following the path. And you and I both know stand up comedy out here is kind of interesting in that way, because if you just kind of go along and do do and here I'm the funniest guy and let me just you are just going to, you know, end up having to suck nuts basically um, to get time. And so you've got to. You know, instead, out here, it's like, oh, I'm going to get in this little group, and I'm going to befriend everybody here so that this group, oh, so that I can be in this little group here, and then no matter what, if I'm funny or not, at least I'm friends with them, and then, okay, now I'm on stage. Right. 
Well, you can't, you know, argue with that. That's working for those people. So the people that are just banging their head against the wall and saying, oh, you know, I'm not getting my time on stage and I'm funnier than everybody else. Well, you're not doing it right. right. It's not the comedy you're doing wrong. It's, oh, they call it show business. Yeah, it's the work. It's their show and there's business and there's... There's a part. So so you, you lose in the student government. Yep. Now, now, which was great for me because, you know, in hindsight, it I very well may have probably gone on to do things in the political field. Right. And, you, you never uh, know. Yeah. So, so when you graduate college. Yeah. Well, I, before that, I went to Spain, too. Okay. So, so I think I ended up being like four credits short um, um, okay. for graduating. And it was kind of an intentional thing because um, I was like, well... I want to go abroad again. And I'm young and I don't know what the hell I'm doing with myself. So I'm going to go to Spain for a year. And I did. I went to Madrid for a year and studied the same, the same things there. And I got another perspective. You know, because Europe you saw as this ally of the United States and this counterpart basically with these, you know, sort of shared historical backgrounds and shared free economies. And, but when you get over there, you, you know, they were just starting the EU. And then I saw a whole new another level, and I had some really impressive teachers, uh, impressive teachers at this university, um, the Complutense it was called, and I was in the Faculty of Political Science there, but it was in a prison that their previous dictator, Franco, had uh, changed from a woman's prison into the Faculty for Political Science, because he wanted people that were studying political science to literally live in the ramifications of their potential missteps. So uh, we're in a prison. Um, hanging out, drinking coffee, talking politics. And it was really a, an intense, uh, great education. Just, you know, awesome. And I lived with, I lived in a room, I lived in a room, but a, a house, and I shared a uh, space with a guy from Italy, a guy from Portugal, a guy from Iran, um, uh, and that's it, I think. Um, so I had this nice eclectic mix of people that we were sharing ideas and stuff. So I had this really nice exposure to international thoughts and different perspectives and and then i you know came home from there um you know didn't really want to get into the real world didn't know kind of what i wanted to do and was was fluent in spanish and had some business background had run a small business in, in a high school landscaping company and stuff and so uh ended up getting into and saying well what can i do for this period of time and make money and i looked up spring breaks i was like well that takes place needs people to speak spanish and I ended up, you know, cold calling this company out of Denver, moving to Denver, working with them, going to Cancun, then taking over their company kind of and, and working in Acapulco for two years. So I spent three years in Mexico running spring breaks, you know, emceeing all the shows, running the parties, running the staff, da 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 da, da. And that was incredible. And then during that time when I would come back, I came back to North Dakota, a buddy of mine, Kelly Gunning, who's out here now, he's a art director and a, a director and an art director, um, said, I'm moving to L.A., and you should come with me. And I said, no, I mean, L.A., it's crazy. Because to me, L.A., from North Dakota still, I still, even though I'd had this international You've been in Spain and Costa Rica yeah. and all these places, it's like, it's you, you believe you've done more. I mean, moving to L.A. is, to me, is like a trivial move from moving and going to Spain. I mean, that way, L.A., at least, you're still in the vicinity. Spain, you're out of the country. I mean, that's like, you know, with Joanne. Yeah, she lives back east. Okay, I can still do that. But if she lived in England, it'd be a lot different because it's like, okay, I have to go to another different. So now it makes it easy. I would think it'd be easier move for you. Well, it certainly was easier had I not studied abroad and had the experiences and been exposed to, you know, different perspectives. Now, keep in mind, after I got back from from uh, um, uh, from Spain, 
when I was abroad in Spain, people kept saying, well, have you ever been to New York? And I was like, no. And they said, well, have you ever been to Boston? I was like, no. Have you ever been to da, da, da? And I was like, God, I've never even traveled the United States. So when I got back from there, in between the spring break thing or whatever, I had, you know, I don't know how many, five, 6,000 bucks left in my pocket or whatever. So I got in my little like 1992 Toyota truck and drove all over the United States and, you know, basically stayed in hospitals and and saw all of the hospitals Ho- hostels they stayed in hospitals you're 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 i got a little i got a little punchy yeah you got a little, yeah. <laughs> you know how i get you know how i, I get. know how you get so you're staying you're staying in hostels and you just you're living i went and saw the united states and stayed with friends you know in boston for a week or stayed in seattle for a week or went to new york for a week or went to chicago or da 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 and uh, you know, really got a sense of okay, what is the what is this Earth kind of feel like? What does this kind of space feel like? And it was really interesting. I I I was uh, I got to see America for kind of the, you know, when the Highway Act got put through in the United States and it turned us into the inter you know the Interstate Highway Act. I think it was like 1952 or something like that, and it turned us into this um, non-trained kind of self-appointed you know car-driven you know interstate system where it's interstate to cities and stuff right if you get on the interstates you don't really see the this country well no, that's like you can take 95 from uh like maine to florida back east you and just it's take nothing and, there and, except for like and you just drive and you see the gas same stations thing and, and you see the exit sign it will say next stop uh arby's right east. and that's what you see i noticed that it's funny because i don't notice it as much here because i'm not on the highways as much but even like when we went to see me and joanne drove down to uh delaware it was just like the same thing. You're like, Jesus. I mean, yeah, it's great. There's forest, but there's you don't see anything about towns. You get no feeling of a town is nice or not or run down because you don't see houses on the road. You don't see stuff like that. <coughs> and it's just very, it's very, I'm not pasteurized, very, I can't think of the word. It's just very. Homogenous. Yeah, homogenous. Yeah. Pasteurized. Pasteurized. Well, well pasteurized is kind of like that. They take everything up and they, you know, swirl it up. So it's kind of homogenized, but, um. So, yeah, I agree. And I think that's a lot like, so I would liken that to our mainstream media. If you're on the interstate, you're watching everything. It's kind of all the same. And you never really get a feel for really what is truly happening. You get spoon-fed this experience. Right, I know. But I want to get back to what happened after your uh, Why? Why can't I go there? Because I want to hear, I want to hear. I know, but but you're laughing at me. I'm trying to make a No, because I I, I know how you You know I'm going to get crazy. I know. know, I I can't handle it. No, I I know. I just just want to find out. If you're traveling, oh, don't make me crazy. When you came to LA, what what made you eventually come to LA? You, you left when your friend moved. Yeah, so that's it. My friend said, "Come to LA." I said, "No, I'm not gonna." And he ended up. I had this, like I said, this landscaping company at the time. So I would do that first time I went to uh, Cancun. I would do. I think I was four or five months in Cancun, and then I would do like four or five months of kind of traveling, and then like four, three or four months of uh, um, landscaping. And the landscaping would give me like twenty grand, and I could go do whatever. So after I was, I, I hired my buddy to uh, landscape with me, um, my buddy Kelly Gunning, and uh, and he just kind of kept on me. He's just like, dude, you know, you 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 you've got what it takes, kind of out there, kind of thing. I was like, what but do you did mean? you you didn't want to act? You didn't, you didn't have that in your mind at all, did you? Never. Okay. No. So you just so with someone once again, someone saying, yes, hey, hey, okay. yeah, wake up, you know. But you know, yeah, really, because you know, you know how I'm a little headstrong, yeah, right, and so. Um, you know, you might miss some things. God's probably giving you little clues and serendipitous moments and stuff, and you're going, oh, I'm going to do this instead. But it takes other people through the work to say, hey, you know, check it out. So I moved out here. I was probably here for about three three months. I moved out here in September of 99, and I, 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 I was going to, uh, for some reason, I 
it was about December or something. And I was like, well, I'm going to go back through Denver and see if Denver needs me to, you know, do, do the spring yeah. break thing again. And I, sitting on my patio, I lived on Detroit Street near La Brea and Sunset. I'm sitting on my patio and I'm going to myself, I'm like, I don't like it here. I don't, I don't, this is like pretentious and, um, uh, uh, you know, I just, it's fabricated and it's not sim- simple. It doesn't have any heart. Um, it's all kind of individual's goals. There's no collective. There's no community. Um, in hindsight, which is all what I like about it now, you know, uh, oddly enough, strangely. But at the time, I hated that. You know, I wanted a sense of community and simplicity. And, you know, if you if you work hard, you'll get places. That's right. not the way this place works. This place is different. Oh, yeah. Which is what I, like I say, what I like about it now. And I said, in my mind, I'm having this conversation. And I say, I'm out of here. And I hear a voice in my head say, it took me this long to get you here and you're going to just leave? Literally, in my head. I'm like, what? That never happened to me before. I mean, it wasn't high or it anything. It was Kazoo from the Flintstones. You went, yeah. oh. Ooh, he so- took me you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's Cartman. <laughs> Cartman was here. So, so you, you, you heard this voice. Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay. Well, uh, no, I guess I'll stay. Um, I ended up going back through Denver or something they're calling Denver and they said we want you to work for us again and I said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it you guys are uh, you're unprofessional um, it's unsafe the kind of you know business you run and blah 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 and they said well how about if we gave you your own destination to run and I said where and they said Acapulco Mexico and I said huh I'll take it because I knew that if I ran the show that you know there'd be safety measures I just right. I'm good at that stuff I'm good at running people and blah 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 so I left and went down right after that. This is now early 2000. Went and they sent me to Acapulco to live and to experience the city and to kind of create the spring break effect because they didn't have that before there. So I went to all the clubs and restaurants. I lived in this really nice hotel and just kind of, you know, pimped it. Um, and then made relationships with all the people and then developed, you know, a, a, a spring break package. I said, we could do this for this much. For 100 bucks, we can... We can eat at these six places and we can have, you know, whatever. I, I kind of ran the show. And then they bring me 7,500 kids the first year. Uh, and then I ran that until like almost June was my probably wrap-up point. And then came back to L.A. And so for two, so when I came back to L.A., I auditioned for Second City. Um, and What made you decide to do that? I don't know. Uh, well, I, 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 well, I had money. Um, and I didn't, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and you know, I was always funny, you know. Um, so I thought, well, and I had heard of improv, I think, or I'd heard of the Groundlings or something like that. So I went to the Groundlings before in that little time before I went to Spring Break and did some Groundlings work. But I was like, oh God, I can't do the Groundlings because this is a place where if you're not friends with uh, everybody in this little clique, you're not going to get in to their main stage theater. And I'm not. I'm not very, I don't make friends with people. You know, you and I are friends because you're a great guy, but if there's somebody at the comedy store or wherever that's not a great guy, but they're a talented performer, well, that's great. I respect their right, performance, but, yeah, I know. but I'm not their friend. A friend of mine told me that, a guy I've known forever, and he said, for me, he's like, he's like you never really hung out. He goes, like, back in, because I'm in Philly in the comedy, he goes, you do your show and you leave. And he goes, you wouldn't, and because I don't, and he's like, but it's just like that. You don't sit Well, there, like, you know, and maybe in hindsight, when I first moved out here and started, and we'll get to that in a second, started doing stand up. So maybe I'm jumping ahead, of, but but you so know you went, you went to Second City, yeah. And so I auditioned for Second City, right? So it's their conservatory program. Now they just moved out from uh, from Chicago, and this was their first 
conservatory program they were putting on. So it was like, I think I was in it with Sam Tripoli and Amy Wittry and, um, you know, a bunch of comics, basically. Um, a um, bunch of comics. Uh, Lisa Gottman and... I think I know the teacher. Huh? Was your teacher Mark Beltzman? Well, one of them, yeah. yeah. He's Mark. great. We were in a movie, Killer Drag Queens on Dope. We played oh, Anthony and Tony. Yeah. All our... 25 minutes, we're, we're in, in it every minute Oh, I want to watch it. It's awful, but it, I don't you care. get it on Netflix. He's great. He's funny. Oh, I want to watch it. It's great. We have a great time. I What's think it called again? Killer Drag Queens on Dope. It started I mean, by I'm going to watch it 100 Go on Netflix. I got. want to watch it for 100%. Right. So, guess okay, it. so... Uh, so anyway, so I'm in the audition process. It's now this is like three people on stage at the Second City Theater, which used to be next to the Improv, and um, and it's two guys and me. And I've never done improv before. They said, well, you need to have at least a year of experience. Uh, well, no, I'd done the uh, uh, groundlings thing, but it, that was about you know one class. And they said you have to have at least a year of stage experience to audition. Oh yeah, of course I've got that because you know here he's fucking lying. It's better. And um, I so I got on stage and they're like, okay, you're at a UPS star UPS store. Go. And I'm like, oh, well, what am I doing? So I start moving these fake boxes. You know, I'm like, here, I'm at the UPS store. Obviously, there's things to move. Not talking. And these two guys start talking. Probably 10 seconds into them talking, I'm still moving boxes, or 15 seconds into them. I haven't said anything. They find a gun this, in this package, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, oh, God. I, you know, I'm on stage literally in the scene going, fuck, these guys have a gun. And, and so I... <laughs> I, I like go, jeez, uh, uh, I think you can't have a gun in the UPS store out. What the, jeez, like where's the manual? So I go looking for the manual. You know, it's all these space work, all this stuff. And I'm, you know, thumbing through the manual and looking at these guys and attempting to say something to get them to stop. And they're talking so much that I can't get a word in edgewise. So I just put the book down and start moving boxes. And they go, scene, thanks a lot. And I'm like, oh my God. Now I didn't cry, but I, you know, I would have because I was like, that's my shot and he I didn't even say anything um week later I get a you know letter in the mail you made it they didn't you know because uh, it was about supporting the scene and making the right. other person look good you know this whole thing so uh, I did that for four years um and I didn't know, I didn't know that okay yeah it was great um you know uh I was I loved it I loved it and I would so I would do I ended up switching classes kind of thing I call it classes but groups in the middle middle because I went to back to Acapulco and did it one more year and back in Acapulco I realized wow this is getting really dangerous I was collecting you know let's let's say I had 1500 kids down there and then we'd sold these hundred dollar packages so I you know sell it to 1200 of them so I'd have 120,000 in cash in Mexico <laughs> and then I'd have to put I'd have to hide that you know in the store in the vault at the thing and then I'd have to make payments so I have to take that 120,000, I have to pay off my I pay 5% commission and then I have the rest. Then I'd have to take it back and then when those coupons were redeemed, I'd have to pay the vendors. And I was running that cash, hundreds of thousands in cash every week to this payment point and people I just noticed things were kind of coming the walls were kind of coming in a little bit. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I can't come back to this right. because now they're yeah, you're I'm going to get killed. Yeah. And actually the year after I stopped going there and moved to LA kind of full time my uh, my main guy that I worked with down there ended up getting shot, uh, and he was a local. He was a big guy, um, you know, like meaning uh, you know hooked into the community. So while I was back doing Second City, Sam Tripoli actually said you should do stand up, and I said I can't do stand up. I mean, every time it's like the same story. I'm like, no, no, I can't right. do it. Uh, and uh, and then I went to a couple of our classmates were performing stand up, and I went to watch him, and I was like, oh, this is what I do all the time. Tuck around, stand up, pull focus, and tell jokes. 
it's like what I do. <laughs> so I started out with Mark Franco um, and TK um, at a bar um, on um, on Sam Vicente, which is where I met my wife. She was bartending there. That was like ten years ago. It was basically the when I started doing stand up was like the same day. The day I started doing stand up was the day I met my wife, and uh, since then, you know. Boy, I've had I've done you know twelve hundred seat theaters and crushed, but I've also done you know little things. It's never really, to be honest, my stand up career is still nothing. Right, it really isn't, and it's because I don't want to travel all that much. I probably should, but I don't want. It's to. it's, it's uh, we always say it's the uh, the roads a young man's game. Yeah, and it's true because you sit there and you you know and and the thing I noticed is also I was talking to someone I was talking to John Hawk yesterday. Yeah, he said when he first started doing like a triple run. He's like, you drive like 18 hours, and it's like six or eight hours per gig. He's like, and what you're getting paid isn't worth the time. And it's true. You know, I mean, I see these people go, oh, I'm headlining in New Mexico. You're driving to New Mexico to headline for a weekend, and you're good. I mean, it's like, you're going to spend that money in gas. You know, it's like. So I don't, I don't see the point. So Yeah, and then you're not, no one's going to see you in New Mexico. And, you know. So what I started doing when I was doing stand up was, you, you, well, one is that. You know, it takes a long time to be, you know, it takes a certain time to be funny, and then it takes a certain time to find your point of view. My point of view, as you know, is that I'm a conspiracy theorist. So what I, and a conspiracy theorist is an easy way to say that I, I look at things from a different angle. Look at really difficult subjects, or subjects that most people either A, won't look at, or B, are afraid to really look at. So whether they be, you know, drug use, or 9-11, or alien conspiracies, or whatever it is, people might think it's ridiculous, but I take a look at the things that make people scared, and I make them funny. Right. Um, and, and you know, as you know, I've developed a show out of that. We'll and, talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, you, you can't really talk about it right now, but, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, you, you, I sent you the link, and we, right. know, we know what it is, and it's, it's good. Um, but, you know, so, I have, so I, last, you, you know, I worked with Nigel Lithgow and Josh Demel last year. We were writing. How do you know Josh? Um, he's one of my good friends from uh, high school. Um, you went to the same high school. Yeah, he's two years older than me, so he's closer friends with my older brother. But now that he lives out here, um, he and Fergie are good friends of mine. So they're actually coming to Vanessa's play Thursday. Did you hang out with him at all, like growing up, or just he hung out with your brother? I mean, they, I hung out with you. You know, beer. his sister, his younger sister Ashley, is a good friend of mine. In fact, when we were, I was just back from my 20th year reunion uh, this last weekend in North Dakota. Uh, her and I hung out a lot. I hung out with her two kids. She's got twins, uh, and they're great, and she's awesome. And her husband is a good friend of mine, Cameron. So when you moved out, did you look him up, or did uh, you ask him like to get to know L.A.? Or no, he- not really. I mean, you know, by the time I moved out here, Josh was already at work. Oh, no. When I moved out here, Josh was uh, in New York because he was working on all my children. Okay. Um, I actually lived with Josh for like three months. Out here? Yep, out here. Yep. Uh, and that was because I was in between places and had a lot going on. And Josh was like, hey, crash with me. So I did. Josh is a great guy, a uh, good friend of mine. And so we, we worked, uh, oops, we worked uh, uh, with Nigel Lithgow creating something last year that's still in the mix. Um, and it's it's a great show. And so we'll see if we can sell it. Well, when you were doing the comedy, you said you did the comedy. When did you start? Because I know you, you know, you, the project we're not going to talk about because you can't. When did you start? Deciding, okay, you know what? I'm doing comedy. I did improv. When did you start deciding? You know what? I'm going to start working on a project because a lot of people don't take that writing angle right on. A lot of people, one, they don't know how to do it. But you were doing comedy. But then, when did you start deciding? I I'm, okay, comedy. I don't want to. I don't want to travel. I don't. You know, probably I'm, like three years into it. 
But it takes a long... I've been working on this project that you saw for like four or five years. It's, it's had different incarnations. But it, what, made you, what made you take that step to start working on a project? Were you just tired of the stand-up? I mean, I no. know you've been in commercials and you've gone out for auditions yeah. and different acting, but what made you want to... Because uh, taking on a project is, is a big responsibility. And half the time people take on a project, they go, well, I'm going to write something. It's not like writing a stand-up act. You know, writing yeah. a joke comes right to you, but a project, you have to actually... It's plot-pointed. You have to sit there and plan it out. Well, um... I've always had good ideas, but I necess- didn't necessarily have the skills to bring it to fruition. And that's what I think stops people, is they say, well, this is a great idea, but I don't know how to do it, so I just won't do it. Well, L.A. is partnerships. Nobody gets anything done out here by themselves. It doesn't happen. It took The thing that I showed you, we had a cast and crew of 60 people on the second shoot day. 60 people helped me create that piece. Okay. 60. Uh, and, you know, I created it with my writing partner, Janet. Jana King, but um, you know the, the reality was I looked at what is the end point for people out here, what is the ultimate goal, and how do people get there? The ultimate goal for me would be that you would develop an act, and that that act, like Louis, would then or Seinfeld would then manifest into or a Raymond, scene. yeah, something that that's, that's what they do, or you know, look at Home Improvement, you know, it happened a lot more before. Yes. Than it does now, but I think maybe part of that is, and I'm not sure, but maybe part of it is because people now weren't taking enough initiative because there were so many venues, they just figured if I was a great comic, I'll eventually fit into this venue ABC. But the venue for them was, um, and I'm just speaking parenthetically because I don't really know, the venue for them was not defined enough. So because I looked out I, you know, I you know I hosted at the comedy store for like seven years, so I really liked hosting. And I went out for hosting gigs for a while. I had this great hosting agent, and then she went to ICM and, and left me, and then I was kind of like high and dry. So I ho- I hosted a couple things here and there, but it didn't really work out. So I was like, oh, am I a host or not? I didn't really like it. It was fun, but it wasn't really fulfilling. And and then um, I just, I did I shot a bunch of commercials. I acted in a couple movies, and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. I like being character and stuff like that. But it really wasn't ever catching. You know, the wheels would spin a little bit, but they just kind of, the, the vehicle didn't really move all that much. So it's like, how am I going to get this vehicle to its end destination, its potential end destination? And the, the reality is you've got to fill it with your own ideas uh, because the, that's the, the best way to get the closest to, you know, the, the, the perfect outcome for you. Right. So for me, the perfect outcome based on conspiracy theories is this show. Right. Now, how did you meet your writing partner? Um, just through my wife. She was uh, actually nannying for her. My writing partner is a, a, a successful writer and has been writing for like 20 years. And, uh, you know, she came to kind of stand up shows. And that's how that's why stand up can be really good for you, because you can get these if you can meet people because they say it's all on who you know. And it is. And you can meet people along the way. Um, and then you. If you don't have anything to invite them to, you know, and uh, you don't have anything to show them kind of thing, uh, you know, you can't really move the relationship forward on a professional level. So you can't, if you're a director, you haven't directed anything, you've gotten a, you know, you can't say, well, I'm a great director, I'd like to work with you. Well, what do you have? Let right. me see it. Well, I, you know, it's just catch-22 out here, right? Because you're, there's a great actor. Sheldon, you're this great actor. Let's see your tape. Well, my tape's not that great. Okay, well, what have you been in? I mean, you know, well, I'd like to, but I'd like to act. So if you give me a chance to act, I'll show you that I'm good. I'm like, well, we can't really take that risk because what if you're bad? 
So then you go through the audition process. But if you don't have a resume, then you're not going to get up the ladder. So it, you know, and if you don't have a SAG card, you're not going to get in a member SAG. It blah blah blah. This whole catch twenty two. So the my theory was that it would be better that once it, you took the six or seven years to define your act, that you then take that um, definition and you write it into a vehicle, and then. You pitch it around town, which I did. I pitched it to, but I pitched it to other people. I went to like Sean Hayes and a couple other kind of, you know, from Will and Grace. To be the, to be your role. To be my role. Okay. And they passed, and I, and they said, well, we don't think the, the main character is that likable. And I was like, oh, I think he's really likable. You know, I mean, I'm a likable guy, and I'm still a conspiracy theorist, right? Um, uh, so then I started to realize, geez, maybe this is just maybe this is my vehicle. So then. You know, then it went dormant for a while. And um, then I wrote my thing with Nigel Lithgow. And then one of his producing partners, who has an Emmy for Survivor, uh, who ended up being my director on the project, Jude Wang, um, said, do you have anything scripted? I said, yes, I have this piece. Uh, I had lots of things that were scripted. Earthquake, earthquake, earthquake. Conspiracy, the earthquake was caused by people eating Fruit Loops in uh, Czechoslovakia. Seriously. So, okay, so what were you saying? So uh, then, you know, so Jude, Jude said, do you have anything scripted? I said, this piece. I had a couple things, different things. I had, she was really good. At, I knew the area she was really good in, and I had some reality show concepts. Because I was always under the impression that when somebody would, would say, they, if they would ever see me, I'd like to be a better stand-up comic, quite frankly. And I think I'll, I'll get there at some point. Um, but if they would see me and say, gosh, she's really good, and then they would invite me to their office, these, you know, um, people, whoever they might be, and say, hey, Mr. Anderson, we really liked what you did. Um, you know, what do you have for us? And if I sat there and said, well, I'm a stand-up comic, they'd say, okay, yeah, but, you know, what do you have? And I didn't have anything, like, to go through and say, oh, well, I have this, you know, seven reality show concepts and these three scripts and da 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 Then I would, I'd be useless to them. Right, like, I can go, I have Stanley Durkin. Yeah. And Cooper Talk. Uh, exactly. Stanley Turkin is a full script. I mean, it's, you know, we have to talk about it, but that, and I wrote that as a free option, but yes. I ended up making $1,500 off it when I came out uh, years ago. But you're also creating the next, you're doing this. Right. Next but I'm saying, but I have something I can say. And then that's what my friend always says. The one thing people forget is you can be a great stand up, you can be this. But my buddy said, what people want to see is content. Correct. Like for me, if someone says, Everyone can say, oh, I have, I have this great podcast. Well, really, well, you know, I have 10 episodes. They go, hey, well, I have 175 episodes, and look at these guests. This is content. That's why I have a whole file of content like you. Because if you go in and know anything, it's like, screw it. Even if you you can say, look, I look at all these jokes on Twitter. It sounds stupid, but it's true. You have content. You have hit the masses. And people don't get that. They just think, Yes. You know, and I'm, I listen, I mean, on some levels, I'm really good at it. and some levels, I'm terrible. The Twitter and the, that stuff, I'm terrible. My website terrible at following up on it because to me i guess i guess this is the way my mind thinks i think let me develop this big picture idea we shot this pilot sizzle it was like a two hundred thousand dollar sizzle um i had you know gail tattersall uh shoot it he's the, the dp on house and uh one of the best dps in, in this in the the thing i saw yeah he's one of the best in the in the business. It's it's instead of a hot dog eating contest, it's a bukkake contest. That's where you can't talk about it. Yeah. It's 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 called uh, Coney Island. That's what it's called. But no, so so Well, at least I'm the star. But uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's he's the lead bukkake. The gobbler. 
No, he's not the gobbler. He's, oh. he's he he runs. See, Sheldon runs a contest. He's that guy that like the Coney Island thing who goes. Oh, the and our next uh, our next uh, contestant coming in from coming in. Hey, oh, exactly. I think mean, that was I, I did that. I know. I Scott's so good. You so, were. Well, so first of all, how did you how did you get these people to shoot this? Did you know them or how did it work? Well, uh, you know, um, full contact. Well, out. like take Gail for example. One, Gail is my uh, wife's godfather. But two, but. Two, three, two or three years ago, Gail needed somebody to help him uh, take down a tree in his front yard, and you know I was like, I'll do it. Right. And he's like, Really? I said, Yeah. He goes, It's full of bees. I go, I don't care. You know, whatever. I don't care. So get the chainsaw, get this, and I'll show up tomorrow morning and cha- take the chainsaw. So he and I did. We took bees, like thousands of bees flying around. I didn't ask him for anything. I just did it because did we found. No, they were all dormant, which is good because, but they were massive, huge. Oh my god! It was oh, that was and they were like, there were like two thousand of them. It was insane. So I didn't care. I mean, I'm kind of fearless and ridiculous like that. So I just, you know, chopped it up, smashed it, chip, whatever, took it down. Da, da, da. Well, it turns out when we're talking, he has the same viewpoint on on life as me, which is that things are screwed up and it's intentional because. If things were just left to people working to their best abilities, it wouldn't be this screwed up. Just wouldn't be financially. You know, the, the fascist government kind of thing that we have—the collusion of stuff, the medical industry. I mean, everything is just a joke to me, um, and that's fine because I really believe that we're kind of spirits kicking it in a body for a while. So, you know, I'm not afraid of that stuff. So, I'm gonna mock it, and that's that's where my stand-up comes from. Um, so, anyways, uh, I don't know how I ended up reaching out to him. Uh, you know, it was the development. I, you know, Jana and I worked on it. We wrote the script. We wrote another. You know, Jana's a great writer, and she she wrote. She kept writing with me. And we kind of had this symbiotic writing relationship. And then we showed it to Jude. Then then we backed off it and we rewrote uh, a sizzle script because we figured that's don't you know lock it in. Don't spend right. two hundred thousand dollars lock it in and then think that it's going to go to air when you they'll probably recast three quarters of the roles and they're going to have a different location and blah 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 depending on who you sell it to. So we thought we'd shoot the sizzle, and then I needed somebody to shoot it. And you know, basically, Gail said, "I love this idea. I want to do it." And he brought in the whole crew from from House, the whole crew, the camera people, the ADs, the the, the everything it was awesome. Equipment too. Canon, Canon donated all the equipment. It was like a because of him. Yeah, Canon. He's an ambassador of light for Canon. So Canon brought in like six hundred thousand dollars of equipment. Uh, we shot it all on uh, C three hundred, the new uh, the new Canon. Um, and all on there, everything was canon. It was awesome. Now, who directed it? Jude. Jude okay. Wing, yeah. So Jude is Jude is a, a producer. She's produced a bunch of stuff, and uh, she's in the uh, uh, directing program at ABC Disney and stuff, and uh, she was just a freaking, she's a stud. I mean, you know, directors are really just um, leaders. That's all they are, leaders with a vision. And so she's an amazing leader, and we shared the same vision, you know, uh, because it was ultimately, I think, maybe my... Collect, it was a collective vision, but, you know, I pushed it out. Right. You know, because it's my stand. I'm like, oh, this guy's got to work. And Jana helped me mold that into something where we could show people. And then when we started looking at it from these different angles, like I said, that perspective thing early on truth. Because art is not ever truth. Art is, you know, this blob that kind of gets moved around and, you know, different viewpoints, you know, different perspectives and stuff. But if you have a team with this intention in mind and you're trying to get it to that goal, then, you know, you're shaping it the entire way. And so she had just a great vision, was a great leader. She brought in um, Chainsaw, which is a big editing company in Hollywood. And they they donated the uh, post-production facilities and stuff. And then uh, the WB um, uh, donated the sound mixing and things. And so I has had a lot of 
all the talent, a lot of it was from the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Um, and uh, one of my buddies who was also a, a comic, uh, Joel Bryant. Um, I know that name. He, he's, you know, he works with his wife, Devin Green, a lot. They're kind of a duo, and they oh, do the flappers a lot. Devin, okay, that's okay. Joel. And Joel's a stand-up comic and a, and a good performer. In fact, he's in a, a play right now with my wife. It ends this weekend. Uh, called you should have told me. I, I'm going uh, out of town tomorrow. Oh, sorry, been... I don't know. I, you know I'm, uh, I don't know. How long has the play been going? Two months. You know what I'm telling me? You don't say, hey, Cooper, you know. I don't know. We talked. I didn't. I would have came. Would've, you should have come. Where, where it's was it super at? funny. Melrose Avenue. I would have so, came. The, the Zephyr. I would have came out. I was just down there the other night. Oh, God, it's so funny. I'm sorry I didn't. Well, I've been out of town and shooting the pilot. and It's all right. I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm, a, I'm a lollygagger. No. So, okay, so so you were saying, so yeah, Joel's. So, well, so, you know, we we had this great cohesion of talent. Who plays the boss? Uh, Gary Grossman. Okay. God, he's funny, isn't he? Yeah. Well, now, where'd you shoot that at? Uh, well, we shot it the at business scenes. Where did you, the, the... Um, at a place on Wilshire, like uh, Wilshire and Doheny. Now, how does someone go about getting a scene like that? How did how did you get that secure that location? Uh, we just worked uh, for that. That was the, really the hardest. We we had the house location that was a private residence of of, of a friend of ours, um, and uh, the the that other location was just work. You know, we we had one place that wasn't quite it. And we were looking for this very specific look, and we had we had this great guy Johannes Spalt, who was um, um, who was our art director. God, he's just awesome. I mean, incredible. That's the thing, man. That's why I really love working out here, is because you're working with these. Inc- I just think amazing people. They're amazing. I mean, you know, amazing to me because they all have these super unique, defined talents that I love and can appreciate. You know, if it's an art direction or if it's um, if it's direction or if it's you know, Aideen or like my line producer Jason Huddleston. The guy, I couldn't believe it. Guy worked like tw- minimum probably twenty hours a week for three months for free, and he killed it. Right. Well, because people want to get involved. Because people want to have you, more you, work. You want to you want to get involved, and the thing is, it's a matter of you want to you know if they see a project that looks cool, you want to work around creative people. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Now, now your wife is that's she plays your wife. Yeah, she plays. I've never met your wife. No, you have two. I have never met <laughs> Vanessa. That is crazy. She's amazing. Because at the at the at the Super Bowl party, yeah, yeah, you weren't drinking. She went and took over one of your friends' Super Bowl parties. Yeah, yeah. So you weird. didn't go to. And uh, we're having a party though on a on Labor Day. That's Sunday, September second. And it's not a birthday party for Joanne. It's a Labor Day party, but it happens to be Joanne's birthday party. So maybe you can guys come out then. I think we're going to be at a wedding that weekend. I'm not sure, but yeah, I know. Well, how well, about October 30th that weekend? I'll be. I turn 50. We're going to have a 50th birthday. Party. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah, so, Let's do that, uh, Joanne. That's when she moves out. Oh, good, good. Well, well are you, yeah. So she'll be ready. She's staying at your place, right? Or no? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, makes sense. Dead. Charging her rent. <laughs> Whatever. I am. It doesn't matter. I said, hey, you're not. I'm you're not, not sure charging her rent. You guys are sharing expenses. Don't you're like you make it sound like you're some kind of. Pimp daddy. You're, I am. I you am. Are, you're a bit. I mean, get <laughs> no, out I'm of joking. here. But no, so, so, uh, well, now, now there was a kid in it, right, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, where, now, where do you, how do you find, <laughs> and it's so weird, because the, the people kid so was, skeptical, how do you find, is it someone you know is the kid? The kid, kid is how, very, was very hard to cast. Yeah, how, uh, do, I mean, because so where would hard. you go about that? Because one, people don't try, I mean, and, and all, especially these day and age, oh, going, it's oh, so yeah, hard. You know, you're going to, I mean, thank God it wasn't me. Wasn't that kid it. good, too? Yeah, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, how do you, so do you do, do you put an ad out in the paper? I mean, how no. did you find, because you can't, because then it's like, have this kid come in, because it's scripture. How did you find well, the kid? Okay, so everybody else, it was fairly easy. 
easy because um, I know a lot of talent because there's a lot of people out here that don't that are just as talented as the big boys but don't get the break. Right. So I know I can pull, 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 pull. Well, you can always do that. Yeah. That's the problem. But the kid thing is like I'm not living in the kid universe, so how do I? But um, I think I may have mentioned to you that I um, I volunteer at this thing called the acting camp, which takes place I think. Uh, I think it's October every year. You can go to theactingcamp.com. It's a kid's acting camp. And my friend Eric runs it. And he just is super passionate about helping kids become better performers and work in the industry. He's just it, It's just incredible to see his just like light in his eyes that he lights up. And the acting camp is full of these really kind of well-known act, acting, kids acting coaches and stuff. And then has like casting directors and managers and agents and stuff come at the end of it and there's this big showcase and the kids are super cute and it's really fun and it takes place uh, in Santa, or in these mountains uh, at the, I can't remember what it's called uh, it takes place at uh, some camp north of Santa Barbara I don't know camps oh hi no it's on the coast it's a it's an actual like it's called glamping it's like glamorous camping you camp in these camps I'm gonna so. twerk you are uh, yeah oh god so okay so, so, so anyway so I had access to people that knew kids and that worked with kids but still, couldn't find him. Because um, you couldn't find anyone who did the job right, or just couldn't you find like, kids. You, you wanted I, a kid that looked had to look a little like well, you. A little look by me had to be about six years old, you know, because I wanted the kid to be young. Because when we do shoot this show, I don't want this kid to grow up too soon. He he has to play this very innocent role, which makes you know the things that he says and does, you know, frustrating to me, and then makes the conversation change around him. So you're talking about very serious subjects around your kid, so you want to talk to your wife, but it's almost right. cryptic, and so you know how this thing works. Um, so, you know, oddly enough, my, my director, Jude Wang, was, I was working with a kid, but the other thing is that their agents get in the way because moms are really, you know, parents are really, you know, frightened that the kids are going to get used or, you know, because they, right. they don't know the industry because they're not in it and they're just trying to protect their kid. So then they have to go through the agents and then when the agents get into it, they're like, well, it has to be, you know, this and that and that. And when they trigger things, it triggers things for everybody. So, you know, if I would have had to, Pay a kid oh, sag that everyone's going to want to get because it's a non-air, you know. So we did that, we did all that, but, um, but, you know, it didn't work. Anyways, I ended up. Jude was at a screening for this these women from Africa from Afghanistan kind of thing, and uh, one of the girls that was there, ladies, um, uh, her name was Kate. Um, she she works with Africa uh, on this project. Uh, I can't remember what her project is, but her son was this just very interesting little guy. Never been an actor before. And my director was like, huh, you got to check out this kid, Sheldon. So I went and had lunch with him. And I was like, wow, this kid is really, really cool and super smart. So he's never been an actor before, but I could play with him right. and his sharpness. That you knew he didn't, he didn't have to be. Because it would reflect on me as a parent, right, in this piece that I am this, that my kid is very right. bright. That, right. that means that we're this, you know, you know what I mean, this family. So it was just serendipitous that we found that kid. You're getting the lowdown on this whole piece, huh? I mean, it's good. See that? You're the first person that gets the I know. baby I pops. It. You know what we're doing with it, right? Yeah. Well, be, I mean, well. But we can't talk about it. We can't talk yeah. about that, people, because we have about five minutes left. So, you know, that's in the can now. And You're going to start doing stand-up again? Yes. In fact, I think I'm going to go to the comedy store tonight. Um, I need to just get in the world a little bit. You know, these, 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 side, these side kind of things, you know, I think for me... I've never been a fan of the Laugh Factory because I don't like Jamie Masada all that much. He, he, I've been on stage there before, and he's like, oh, my God, you're incredible. You're going to be on all the major networks, and da, 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 da. And I'll go back two weeks later, do a better set. And he's like, oh, I didn't quite like it. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just willy-nilly saying shit all over the place. And that's the same with 
every place, but there's a community uh, in other places that I don't feel like is at the Laugh Factory. You know, community at the Comedy Store and a community at the Improv a little bit, more, mostly at the Comedy Store. And I don't think I'm really a part of that community, but I have a lot of friends that are there. Right. Uh, I really like the guys that are performing there. So, And I really respect their craft. So I might just go and sit and take a look at what, what's going on at the Comedy Store tonight and fart around. I just, you know, it's hard for me to get out and sit with these people if I'm not performing. Like, I know. Oh, exactly. I it's can't just hard it to sit around because I feel like I'm not doing anything. That's why uh, when I do my one-man show, I'm just going to produce it myself. I'm like, you know what? Get a little theater. Boom. Yeah, but I'm definitely going to... I'm gonna, Right now, uh, uh, let's see. I have that in the can, so I'm going to focus on that. Um, and then I'm going to write another show, another ep- a true story based on uh, some things that happened to me back in North Dakota when I was a kid that's kind of like a... A little bit of horror, kind of inspirational horror, weird genre that I don't think exists, but I'd like to create. Um, and uh, so I'll put that away, and I probably have to seek a writing partner for that because, again, I don't feel like I'm that competent of a writer. I'm a good storyteller, and I'm a good um, punch up kind of person, and uh, I, I kind of have this visualization where I can see where the story should go. But like character development and stuff, I could still use a little bit of a handhold on that. Well, so, you, that's how you run into people. That's you know. I already have people that want to work on it. Um, you know, it's just that people's time is valuable. Right. And they and you know, so if they're professionals, they don't want to do it for free. And I don't have, you know, I don't I don't want to risk more money up front and not have you know. Right, I'm not going to put five grand into somebody's pocket right now. And, and then they sit there and they go, what? You know. Well, are they even right? Something we're not sure. Not sure how they do it. And and then of course I go out to sell it. It doesn't sell. So I'm out five and I have something that never sit, that sits on the table. You know, that's why you do things on your own in the first place is that you don't have to take that risk up front. You just, are you uh, are you going out and auditioning still? Uh, commercially, I am. Theatrically, I'm not. But any good commercial leads? Anything? Well, you know, I'm gonna. Well, we'll see. I'm I'm, I'm right in the process of. I'm gonna revamp that because you know I've booked a lot of commercials and I really like them and I make good money doing it and I, I really like it. I think it's fun. They stopped playing that one I always watch. Yeah, they did. I yep. just I actually just got the file this morning sent to me because I hadn't had it on file because I'd had the same agent for a long time. But now I need to like you know I just need to just take some time and really focus on instead of the. It's just, you know, we talked about, you know, creating product and I've done a good job of that, but now I've got to go back into the, the online things, the stand up, the, the, you know, the, the, the other stuff that supports the product. It's this right. symbiotic relationship between the two. And I've really left, you know, the stand up and the social media stuff kind of sit dormant a little bit while I was working on this. Cause I was like, well, if this goes, the other stuff will, you know, right. up. it'll be, you know, but it's, yeah, it's multitasking, man. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff to do. You know, I mean, that's what I, in the beginning I was lazy, but now I always uh, update my um, website. I mean, I, I sit there, I always put um, episodes up. I wait like a week and a half. Now I put them like, you know, I don't like to put them up when they can still on the air, but like I'll I put up, so today I'll put last week's episode up and then Saturday I'll put up, you know, one of today's and Sunday I'll put up one of today's. It's about movement, isn't it? You know, you've got to keep moving. I mean, even if it's sometimes is arbitrary, even if it's going and doing a, you know, a sta- an open mic night and you know that you're quote unquote above the open mic, it doesn't matter. You yeah. get out, you work the muscle, you you, you got to keep yeah, I worked, moving. I worked at Saturday and Sunday. It was great. So I was at the Ice House and Haha. It was fun. Oh, that's good. It was fun. Okay, well, we got uh, we got a little time. Give up. Give any information you can give uh, people. Get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you. Or is there anything? No, why would I give it? Like, people don't need to get in touch with me. You, you know, know, if they you see know, me, follow you on Twitter. You know, well, I guess I am Sheldon on Twitter. Yeah, that'd be all right. I, I I haven't updated much, but I think I'm going to put some energy into put that. Some energy because website because your website has a good view of it. it looks nice. It just yeah, it has yeah. shows from 2011. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, I want to I want to thank you. So, yeah, we never really talked about your career like this, and uh, we always talk about conspiracies. I want to thank you for coming on. Thanks for fun. having me, Coop. Okay. I and, like, uh, 
I always appreciate yeah, you, no Cooper. Problem. I think you're great. Thank you. But I, gotta, I, mean, I, 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 I know, but I'm going to stop you from doing it. No, I have to do it. Uh, okay, do it. At Cooper Talk. Uh, <laughs> follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. Also, send me an email, Cooper at Indy100, I-N-D-I-E-100.com. You can look at my website, coopertalk.net. Join my Facebook fan page, Cooper Talk, and I have a great new uh, feature in that. I have pictures of all my guests, and when you click on the picture, you can click directly to the link of the show they're on. So you can, you know, hear some great old episodes. Uh, I have some great guests coming up in the next few weeks. Go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio, one word, Cooper Talk, and you find some episodes. Usually Thursday nights, turn into WIP 94 Sports Radio Philadelphia at midnight. Pacific Coast time, I'll be on the Big Daddy Graham show doing a little talking segment. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank my guest, Sheldon Anderson. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. You guys have a wonderful weekend, and it's time for me to get lunch.